We want to talk about faith. We want to talk about um, politics. We want to talk about race. We want to talk about pop culture. Literally, everything, 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 everything is up for discussion, and that's what French culture is about. About, about, about. What's up, world? You are tuned into episode 40 of Brunch Culture. I'm your boy, Randall Keith, and I'm joined by your girl, Lisa Victoria. What's up, world? All right, y'all. We're going to kick off this week in review with the explosive events of the fraternity Sigma Alpha Epsilon... I'm pretty sure if you guys haven't heard it, you've been living under rock. Sigma Alpha Epsilon at the uni- at o- the University of Oklahoma, uh, there was a video that surfaced on, I saw it actually on Monday, I want to say maybe it came out on like Sunday night or something like that, of members of the fraternity on a bus heading somewhere on a trip singing the lyrics to a tune of If You're Happy and You Know It, the song, the song in itself, the that the lyrics that they were saying were not happy at all. They were singing, there will never be an N-word in SAE. The song goes, there'll never be an N-word in SAE. There'll never be an N-word in SAE. You can hang them from a tree, but they can never sign with me. There'll never be an Igor in SAE. Oh, man. Yeah. So when I first saw it, um, I actually saw it on this uh, Greek parody site, and I looked at it and like, wait, is this real? It's not. It's not really a big thing. And of course, as like with most things do with the internet, things became viral. Start seeing it everywhere. The follow up to that though is apparently the house mom of of the the fraternity. They have a house on their campus. Apparently, the house mom. A video was a Vine video was made of her in February, and which she sang the N word over and over again, um, and that kind of somebody went in, of course, and and found that video, and it became a whole new topic of discussion because people were saying like, oh, you know, <clears throat> she this is basically where they get it from. They had to get it from somewhere. She actually said that she was singing lyrics to, uh, I think it was what, Trinidad James song. Mm-hmm. It, um, it didn't go with that. She lied. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll play it for you so you guys can hear it. This is her. <laughs> That's her saying it over and over again. And they actually, someone interviewed her to get her response for it. And she said that basically they edited out the video. She was actually singing the lyrics to a song. So she wasn't uh, making racial remarks. She was actually just singing lyrics to a song, having fun. This whole story is bizarre. I was pretty upset, but I kind of got checked from listening to people. And this is one one reason why I love having discussions with people and I love talking about different things and getting people's perspectives. So the news and mainstream media kept saying that they were making racial slurs, right? Um, and everybody focused in on the fact that they said the N-word. Well, for me, everybody, if you know me, you know that I don't like the N-word. I don't support the N-word. I don't care who you are. 
even if you're black, I think that the word needs to be killed. I, I hate when people use it. It literally frustrates me when people are like, oh, you know, we're reclaiming it. We're putting it's taking on this new meaning. I know some people feel that way. You do. You're allowed to feel however you feel. I'm just not one of those people. But in hearing it, I posed a question on Facebook uh, just to my Facebook followers of like, yo, if you're a person that actually uses the N word, what offended you about this video? And even particularly with particularly with the house mom, were you offended that she just said it? Because if you're saying that you're reclaiming a word and giving it a new mean, meaning and it's a word of endearment, can that new meaning not be tied to someone else using it? And a lot of people said, well, you know, you knew that it was the 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 word their use of the word was meant to be malicious um they're saying things they're coupling it with saying that you know you can hang somebody from a tree they can't sit with me their separation things like that um so there was a lot of you know more thought into it and things that made me consider even more why people not what mainstream media is saying but what day-to-day -day people are frustrated with and why they're bothered with it um and i think for just me it even I got checked from the standpoint of I am always I realize that me taking a position of trying to challenge people with their own use of the word, it can sometimes seem to make an excuse for the situation. So people start taking that. I was saying that it's OK that SAE used that word or that they had that song. And that's not what I was saying at all. Not even close. I do think that they should be reprimanded. I think that, you know, there has to be people need to know that these things, these types of things aren't acceptable. And I, I will I'll applaud us, our country and, and where we are today. Um, I think with so many sensitive racial issues going on, a lot of people are standing up and saying any sign, any remnants of racial issues or racism that we're going to nip it in the bud and we're going to go to the extremes. And so I'm just even proud that we're in a space where that can happen, because once upon a time, racial issues can go on in a public sphere and no one would say anything. So I think that, you know, we have to applaud ourselves when we're doing good. And I definitely applaud us for the fact that um, things can come out of that. But I, I say all I say all that to say that we I realize that I can't we can't be so quick to criticize ourselves in a public forum, potentially in a public forum when we're finally getting work done from the other side. You're finally getting people being able to realize how hurtful and offensive and just outright wrong it is to be racist in that way and to make those types of statements. And so while we're initially getting that work done and people are being reprimanded from that on the other side, as a black person, as a black male, while my criticisms of our people and the people that use that word may be valid and I'm due that, this is just not the time. And just my research and hearing other arguments and hearing people kind of check me for that. And so, yeah, that's what I that's what I learned from 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 this whole this whole thing. Yeah, it's it's. I was just so like, my thing is, I feel like people are they don't use critical thinking and we say this time and time again on this show yes if at, going back to them on this bus you didn't think nobody was recording you geniuses yeah I just geniuses geniuses and it's it's, it's they really shouldn't sad. have been saying it but I mean right. it's just like 
it's just we don't use any common sense like people pull out their phones everywhere now right I think I think from their position though, they were on a bus. They're on the bus heading to I think they said like a anniversary event or something like that for the fraternity. Maybe it was like a Founders Day event, um, and they had their dates. And so these are in essence these people. I'm pretty sure the people on the bus. These are the the people that they're closest to, their friends in their organization, their friends' girlfriends. These people probably hang out. The way that the people sung the chant, this didn't come off as something that somebody they just heard. There were a lot of people that were singing with a lot of passion and they were just, you know, really vocal and really into what they were saying. So my thoughts are this isn't the first time that the song was saying um, they sang the song. This is probably something that they are accustomed to singing around each other, maybe even accustomed to saying around some of the girlfriends. Apparently, there was a uh, girl, the person that was doing recording, apparently she was a member. Some of the members on the, the female members on the bus were members of uh, Tri-Delta. And one of the girls may have been from that organization that recorded it. And it may have been her first time being around it. I think gotcha. that's what I think that's what I, it probably was like a group of people that are used to being around. For the most part, they have this like rapport with each other and you have a few people that aren't used to being around this group they might be cool with them but we don't really hang with them so seeing that for them probably became like wow this is serious and honestly i'll even push to say maybe even them in recording it they didn't think that it was that big of a deal right mm -hmm. they probably didn't think that this whole thing this would be a nat a thing that would get national attention to be on mainstream media news and people would be talking about it and writing about it. they probably didn't think it was that big a deal they probably thought like hey you know this is a song. I think it's funny. I'll just post it. We'll see what happens. And here we are today. Yeah, that's crazy. But we definitely don't condone that type of behavior. Um, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, it's 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 especially it's, the fact that it's 2015. You would think exactly it would be better, but it seems to be instead of progressing, we seem to be regressing, which is really sad. Um, but in other news, something that hit social media really hard this week. What a $65 million plane. When I tell you, if that's what God, what you need to to spread the gospel, y'all know I'm in seminary, so I'm letting God know if that's what you need to fly. I My Honda Accord, I got it when I graduated undergrad. It was new, brand new Honda Accord, but that's not sufficient. I really think, Randall, what God wants me to have is that Mercedes coupe with the butterfly doors. And I don't think he wants me to have it after I graduate from seminary. I think he wants me to have it before. I just, that's what I would, because $65 million, when I read this story, it said that Pastor Creflo Dollar needs this jet to spread the gospel of grace. And I say, you know what? I've been spreading it all wrong. When I speak at churches, I've been noticing it's been average. It's real. Probably, it's real. Probably, the spirit don't move right because yeah, you in that Honda. Yeah, that Honda Accord. You know, it got good. It it holds its value, mm -mm, but not mm. like that Mercedes. But its value is not up to where it needs to be. That's what it is. Yeah. It, you, you see, your value starting around the twenty five thousand dollar range. That's not what you need. Old eighty thousand yeah, range. Got That's what you need. Too, you know. Oh and yeah, you can't be I sitting need, on cloth. You can't, yeah. uh, uh you can't be sitting I mean, on cloth. When I looked at that Mercedes coupe, 
and I saw the tan leather interior. Yeah. That's what I need in order that's, to preach. I, the word of God. It, the word of God. And that and so because of that, I was so inspired though by this story and realizing that that's the way that you have to preach the word. I think that I'm just gonna give up my career. Um and I I I'm just no longer gonna, you know, be involved in government and I I think that I'm going to sign up for seminary school. I, I might need you to help me get in there. He bypassed it. If he might, if he would have went, he no, well, might not on. preach the way he did. Wait a minute. Now you, well, I don't even, do he got a school? <laughs> <laughs> do he teach people? You don't have to go to seminary to be a pastor. It's, it's, it's preferred in some denominations, but not, not all. He created, he started his own church from scratch. Well, not scratch. It's not food, but he started from the bottom, and now look where he at. I'm finna. Go, I'm. I'm going out to the park tomorrow, and I'm finna start uh, witnessing the people, and I'm gonna start my own church. That's what's up. Cause he, let me tell you, it says he needs the top of the line G650. His he has a jet now. I think it's 15 to 20 years old. He has some engine failure, and they were able to safely land because of a skilled pilot, but it could have been catastrophic. See that not not and see I don't even see this is the thing though because I'm believing that I don't even need the G650 I just need the G. <laughs> if you just get me the G, I think I might be able to make some. And here out. I am flying from Florida to DC on JetBlue. Mm-mm. How, Mm-mm. how dare I limit God? I'd be on I Southwest. I'd be on Southwest. The community is plagued. <laughs> You mean to tell me all I have to do is let me? Um, look here. He said that that his his ministry rep says fuel costs from Atlanta to New York. He has a church in New York as well as in Atlanta. They have church in New York on Saturdays, church in Atlanta on Sundays. So he has to fly back and forth. It's ninety five hundred dollars. Now I just bought a ticket from Florida to D.C. for one forty four. I'm trying to figure out how this ticket is that way. You're I not, mean, $9,500. You, lim- you have limited God and his abilities to bless you. And that's the problem. See, that's see, that's what happened with us Christians. We limit God. Our minds don't think that God is capable of getting. I'm believing for a G. When I go to church on um on a, a Sunday, I'm be like, look. I'm believing for I'm believing for a G. They gonna be like a grand? No, no, no. See, see, you limiting God. You have to. You, no, 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 no. I need the G force plane. That's what I'm. You know. I'm believing you know, God. For you this. remember that change clothes video with Jay Z, where yeah. the girl got off that the plane and it was a car for every day of the week. She believed in God, didn't she? She was saying. That's what I'm saying. On Sunday, when I have to speak at church, I'm gonna have my red convertible with the butterfly doors but well, when i'm well, coming down off the high i need something well, to keep me still elevated so well, i need to well, hop into the range on monday now well, i haven't well, decided what tuesday through saturday car is gonna look like but i'm okay. pretty much sold on the candy apple red um coupe mercedes and the range i kind of want to snow just, white in this moment we just gonna believe god for all those things yeah and the plane <laughs> But I gotta get the plane so I can get off the plane so the car can be there. So I can really I see. preach with where it's like in the Bible. Re- it's like 
Do you know I how didn't this... miss it. It was in. It's in. You remember when I said that that lost book of the Ebonics? Uh huh. Well, it's in there. It's in Jude thirty four, chapter thirty four. I know in y'all Bible, Jude only got one chapter, but in Jude chapter thirty four, it's it's right next to where Creflo got this plane from. The beautiful thing in this, and I think, see, this is, you, you know, I say that God speaks to you in, in mysterious ways, right? Mm-hmm. Jay Z calls himself Hove, right? Mm-hmm. Don't Hove mean God. Now he <laughs> bought her that fleet of uh, vehicles and the plane. You saw that and was inspired about your <laughs> ministry. That means God is supposed to. Get, you you have to see. I've been praying, man. I've been reading my word. Y'all, you're not ready, Lisa. You're not ready. You're man, not. They ain't teach me nothing to this in seminary. I need my money back. You, I, they did and not I, tell us we're supposed see, to get a $60 I'm on the path, shit. I'm on the path that just like you said, I don't need to go. <laughs> I just made that connection without even going. You, I you, do, I'm sitting up here thinking, man, I just... Uh, I'm just limiting God. I could be riding on a $65 million jet. I bet that's more expensive than his whole sanctuary. <laughs> you know, I'm I'm telling you, I just I just made the connection for you. Now you, y'all 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 hear how that? I just made that connection. We're not gonna ju- I, you, you saw know, the, I don't know uh, Creflo personally. You know, I just know <laughs> that this seems a little bit excessive. When you could get a ticket probably for a hundred and something dollars. <laughs> to fly between Atlanta and New York. But who am I? I mean, I'm sure he got to stay in first class, but that's going to be a little bit more. I don't, I don't, I'm not I, able to. Why you got to stay class. in first class though? Because that's the if way you, God wants you to travel. If you get on Southwest and 24 hours before you get on, you got on, you get on and you click real fast and you get somebody to reserve your spot, you can be one of the first to get on a plane and you can sit in the front seat. Well, you know what? He might he might and, be the president. And Southwest go for every, the president of what? I don't know. Southwest go everywhere. I'm just saying. You know, the president got his own plane, Air Force One. I don't know. I wonder if Air Force One cost him sixty four million dollars to build. The president don't own that plane, though. That's that's the government own. The president don't own that. Well, the, the church the government don't own this plane because it's the, they sell it to the church, so the church gonna buy it. The church, but the peak. Now I don't know, but didn't it, that article say the average salary was twenty nine thousand dollars in the church? church? Yeah, but that don't mean they can't give him thirty thousand. They can't give him three hundred dollars. It's so income I'm tax time. See, so this is a smart move. <laughs> this is a smart move, boy. People be geniuses. I hate you. I hate you. She talking about it's income tax time. You can get anything during income tax. You're not right, yo. I promise you, you're not right. It don't matter what their income is. They got a couple G's. They got taxes. They can show that $300. Oh, my God. It ain't nothing in the drop of the bucket. You know that income tax money. That's just going to limit their down payment for their new car. Lisa, you're not right. You're not right. Y'all, we're not trying to be go Creflo Dollar for real. Y'all, I don't know Creflo. I think this is a little bit excessive. Yeah, um, I have just, issues with some of the things he teaches from a theological perspective. That's a whole nother debate I'm not going to have. But one thing I do know is because of the backlash on social media, they have taken that campaign down. I don't know anybody 
who could get 200,000 people to give them $300. I need 200,000 people to give me a dollar. And that would really help me with my student loans. <laughs> Amen. I just <laughs> like legit though, real talk. If this dude didn't think that it was feasible, he wouldn't have put it out there. So I think from us, from our point of view, we look at it and say, yo, that's not possible. How in the world he going? But I think legit, this dude had to have thought that it was possible. Gonna give him $300. Yeah. I mean, Man, when I tell you, he got faith. But I'm we going to really, if y'all want to touch and agree with me about this Mercedes Coupe, Feel I don't even free to do it. touch and agree with me about these student loans though. Let's let yeah, like let's... for real, for real, wherever you at, <laughs> bow your heads. Yeah, hold your own hand and think about me. <laughs> 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 and imagine that I'm standing next to you with two or more gathered. We are gathered <laughs> on this podcast. Please <laughs> send somebody to help me with these good old student loans. Them folks start calling me, man, and I was like, um. He not here. <laughs> is this random? This not random. After you Who got, is it this? wouldn't it be nice if after you got your job, you could just get, retire your uh your degree, like you know, like when people buy clothes and return them after the event. Yeah, I think you put but... your degree on layaway though. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you gotta put it in there and pay on it bit by bit. They do have payment plans. Oh, now nah, I want no payment plans. No, no, no. You're right. I do want, want to return it. I want the return policy. Let me <laughs> go ahead on the key. Here you go. This <laughs> right. You need it. Uh-uh, I already used it. I need one picture with it. That's all. <laughs> I just need one scan copy of it. I just Sorry. need my transcript. Give me my transcript. You know how they give you a copy of your transcript when they give you your degree. That's all I need. Yeah, and I, I can, got it. Right. I can send the rest of this stuff back. <laughs> Y'all can help me. What about the refund money you gave me? Uh-uh. We ain't going to talk about that. Uh-uh. Uh-uh. I just refunded it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> All up in this paper. Uh, refund. Yeah. Well, Creflo need to get that money to this people and his, his audience with student loans. Because I'm sure a lot of people got it. It could be. And he could fly coach. He could fly. Yeah. Not coach. I'll let him even fly first class. But $65 million, that's a lot. That's too much. It's a whole lot. So, yeah, y'all, I don't know. We around here. We are. We around here. We're. If you want to sow into us in our student loans, make your checks payable to Randall and Lisa. Now, separate checks though, because we we not we don't have a joint. Oh, okay. Account. Yeah, I was gonna, I was we gonna say now. Wait a minute. Hold account. on. Let me clarify. Don't put Aunt Lisa on there because Randall will be the only one at the bank cashing. If you it. felt like you had a connection <laughs> with me on this podcast, feel free to give me the money. If you even had a connection if you felt with like Randall, you didn't have a connection with me, I need you to give me the money. I don't want you to base it off your feelings because your feelings may change. You base it off the fact that there's this little black boy that had a dream. That one day, those student loans would get paid off. And today is not that day. So if you want to be a part of change, if you want to be an agent of change, if you want to activate your faith, you write that check to Randall. <laughs> Y'all you can email us at French Culture DC. Nailnet. You ain't even got to tell me your name. Is it Nailnet? I don't, is that? It's, it's, it's Nailnet, Nailnet for me. Uh, you, look here. Uh, what is that other one? 
Sally Mae. Uh-uh, I ain't got Great Sally Mae. Sally- I don't know those people. Those people, <laughs> I don't mess with them other people. When them people used to come by me like, you want my loan? Oh, no, 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 no. I don't want yours. I, <laughs> I already outnailed it. I own it. <laughs> I, you write it to Nelnet. You send it over to them <laughs> and put my name on. I don't. You don't even have. To, you just. It's a blessing in disguise, and I will smile. And if you, we'll leave. I invite you on the show. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to, if Creflo could get three hundred people, is it three hundred? No, two hundred thousand people. Two hundred thousand to give him three hundred dollars. Yeah, I me and Randall could get our student loans paid. We just ain't yeah. activating our faith. That's um the faith of a mustard seed. Man. Well today's main topic for brunch culture, we have a special guest, Mr. Rushon Davis from Newark, New Jersey. Um we were introduced to him from his Huff Post article, Black Millennials, We Need Your Presence, Not Just Your Success and this I saw this on my Twitter feed and it immediately um, caught my eye and I read the article and I was like, oh, this is good stuff. Um, and I looked up, um, Thank you. <laughs> I looked up Rushon's um, bio and I saw that um, he has an incredible story. He, at, um, I believe it's 21, Rushon, that yeah. you ran for city council was the youngest. Um, I saw you've been featured on TED Talks as well. Um, TED Talks at Georgetown, you're a graduate of Georgetown, and you've been doing some incredible things with the ACLU um, in, yes. in Newark. Uh, so we want to welcome you to the show, Mr. Rashawn. I'm glad to be here. I, I love listening to the Brunch Culture. You guys always have great topics, so it's an honor to be here. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. So we want to talk about what, what, for our first question, what kind of inspires you to do what you do? But I, I think for me, and like a lot of other sort of first-generation college students, I grew up uh, in very humble beginnings. I remember growing up in the housing project in Newark, New Jersey, and my mom working three jobs just to make sure, you know, I had a better life than she did. My grandmother was the organizer in the 60s so my whole life. I always thought about this idea of giving back. And the amazing thing is that I didn't come from a place where we had a lot. But whatever we had, we shared. So I carried that philosophy to college. Um, in college, I joined the NAACP, which was run by some amazing folks who are doing amazing things across the country now. Um, and I learned a lot about them, about really being an agent of change and being a social activist. And so um, just some really amazing work. So. I knew I wanted to get back. I always didn't know. I didn't know how always. Uh, and I realized just from sitting down with some folks that the best way to get back is to start with home, um, at least in my situation. And so my junior year of college, I decided I was going to run for city council in Newark. Uh, and it started off as a very uh, sort of, you know, shot in the sky kind of campaign. And, it grew into something that was phenomenal. We raised over $30,000. Wow. Raised, wow. Uh, tons of different volunteers, and we were featured on MTV and USA Today. So we had a great campaign, um, and we ultimately ended up losing, but we gained so much more than just the city council seat. We gained uh, the ability to connect the community, the ability to build social movements. And so I've been just been inspired by my family and by 
the people of the city of Newark who just relentlessly will never give up hope. And so that inspires me to do what I do every day. That's amazing. That's amazing. Awesome. Yeah, that's, that's really incredible. Um, as somebody that can definitely relate to coming from humble beginnings and uh, being inspired to be an agent of change for my community, what led you to getting to what led you to writing the article, uh, the, the article that kind of I mean, it spoke to me, it inspired me, it challenged me, it did a lot of things. What led you to get to the point of writing the, the, that article and what, why did you think it was necessary? So I, I think for me and I think for a lot of folks who, uh, you know, go to college, a lot of black folks who go to college and graduate, you sort of, once everybody graduates, there's this awkward two weeks that happens where everybody is talking about where they're going after graduation. And I know in my case, I heard, I heard the usual suspects. So I'm moving to Brooklyn. I'm moving uh, to San Francisco. I'm moving to, you know, Austin, Texas. A lot of these new sort of gentrified areas that have become hotbeds for young, intellectual, talented uh, people. Right. And the thing I found most intriguing, though, is that some of, you know, the biggest social activists in college in my college were moving uh, to these hotbeds. And even, you know, now I'm out of college and a lot of my friends are still trying to migrate to these areas, which is fine. Um, you know, but in the wake of Ferguson, in the wake of a lot of these issues that face Black America, our presence as young, successful black millennials is desperately needed in these communities and not just on black Twitter, not just, <laughs> you know, in the occasional march, but everybody's a hero on black Twitter. So, yeah, black Twitter is great. I love black Twitter. <laughs> well, that's, that's, that's phenomenal. I think that's, that's very much so challenging because it's easy to, to be a voice on Twitter. It's easy to, be a voice at a march but it's hard to like kind of you know dedicate your life in one area um, to see that because it's a slow process you're not going to see the results that you want to see overnight it's not a microwave thing it's more of a crock pot thing so um yeah and it's in that it's it's something that i've been and that's why i say that your article challenged me from that that vantage point so one of the things that we kind of face and i thought about more after reading it is for myself from somebody that came up that's a first generation college student first in the family to do it I, all of these things that i've been doing has been congratulations. Um, congratulations thank you i appreciate it congratulations to you as well um being the first to do these things and kind of existing in this space with people that are successful and that have been able to experience a different way of life and a different type of life and they had access to all of these resources that i never heard of and things like that for me it became important for me to go to those places to learn as much as i can and to kind of create that bridge and bridge that gap uh between you know, my family and my community. So one of the things I've done since I've been here, I got an opportunity uh, to work at the, to, to work with the White House. So I brought my family up and to do those things. And so for me, that kind of aspect was important of it. But what do you right. feel like, what do you feel like is, 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 do you feel like that's sufficient enough? Or do you think that there is a need to say that, hey, with these degrees, with all these things I have, now that I'm exposed to it, I should be physically in the community and maybe trying to bridge that gap from within the community as opposed to outside of the community. 
so I, I feel like your opinion is the, a lot of the feedback that I got from the artists with that. I'm a first-generation college student. I want to explore these places that, you know, members of my family didn't have access to for a while. And I think, I think that's absolutely correct. I think as somebody who's been blessed enough to get these opportunities, uh, not only do you have the obligation, but you have the benefit of going to these places and seeing other places that, you know, folks in your family may have not ever seen. So that has its place, I think. And that's something that I've said in the article, that the idea of actually physically living in, you know, a predominantly black neighborhood that disadvantaged may not be feasible for everyone. Right. Um, but some folks it is. Um, and I think oftentimes not everybody has the mindset that you have that this is me building a bridge. A lot of folks, for a lot of folks, it's like, this is my ticket out of here. And that's how they view it. Right. And it's that mindset. I think it's that mindset that sets us back as a people because, you know, a lot of people use college to see the success in college as a gateway uh, to leave these neighborhoods and never turn around. I remember, I'll never forget the day I graduated high school, uh, one of my teachers turned to me and said, this is your ticket out of here. Don't ever come back here. Wow. Um, And I feel like there are a lot of first-generation college students who can relate to that kind of story. And so I think it becomes problematic when we don't see ourselves as bridges and we kind of see it as, well, I got me and my family out and that's all that matters. That's right. That's powerful. And 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 I think that's good that you make that point. And it's something that I think is, extremely relevant because I have conversations with my friends about this all the time. Even my friends that, you know, were a little bit more well off. Um, when, when we think of, when we talk about the places that we're from or, you know, our cities and things like that, we kind of, after a while, particularly after you've, you've graduated and been in your career for a while, there's this sense of detachment, right? That for some right. people that creates this uh, space where, you know, now I have purpose for this new community, this new area, these exactly. new people. And then even when you get a family, now this is my immediate family. So my my wife, my husband, right. my children, and you kind of get detached from that. So I think that's extremely important. And, One, go ahead. And, and and that's why I think it's key for us as millennials to take that charge, because obviously when you find your spouse, when you, when you have kids, I, I think different questions arise about responsibilities and, you know, where you should be and what kind of environment you want to have with family. But I think as millennials, this is a unique time period in our lives where we're able to make a hell of a difference. And so I, I think, you know, I think something people often forget is that these zones that we try to move to, whether it's D.C. or York, these are some of the most dangerous, crime-ridden, low-income communities in America. Ten years ago, in the 1990s, 15 years ago, in the 1990s, New York was one of the most dangerous cities in America. It was on the verge of bankruptcy. They had 2,000 murders a year. You look at a place like San Francisco in the 80s, it was considered one of the worst places to move to. And the reason that these cities have revised themselves and become hotbeds is because young people have chosen to move there and move their talent there and move their will there. And my, my, my notion is that if we apply that same philosophy to a Compton, to a Newark, to a Southeast D.C., we can make dramatic changes about how these neighborhoods look 
and what it means to be a black neighborhood or a Latino neighborhood or, you know, any other sort of minority enclave. Right. So you you mentioned something, and in, in, in particularly when you bring it up with Southeast D.C., um, you mentioned even an article about these these new areas that have been gentrified. What's your take right. on gentrification? Because I have my own my own personal thoughts and feelings on them. Um, and so what, what's your take on it? Because you, we have, and particularly in D.C. area, you have some people that are 100% for it. You know, it creates, right, it's, right. it's more aesthetically pleasing. It creates more opportunities, yada, yada, yada. Then right. you have some people that are like, hey, it pushes a certain group of people out, particularly in D.C. Right. area where much of this, much of D.C., D.C. is no longer Chocolate City, which we used to know it as right. Chocolate City. How do you feel about gentrification? I, I think you hit the hammer on the nail. I think as somebody who grew up in a sort of urban, dilapidated neighborhood, I can never be against development. Development is a great thing. Development becomes horrible when it pushes a certain group of people out, and even more so when it doesn't provide opportunities for, the for those people. Come on, come on, come on, come on. You know, He's a I, good I, I man. Reality, You're a good man. You're a good man. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I, I think the reality is, is like, especially if you were in D.C., I spent four years in D.C. If you go to places like Minnesota Avenue or Northeast, if you look at places like around Union Station, places that were traditionally low-income places that have become gentrified over the past two years, the right. fact that if, if these places were building these coffee shops, these breweries, these uh, lounges and hiring local folks, right. I wouldn't have a problem with it. My problem is, is that now these folks who traditionally lived in Northeast who traditionally lived south of uh, Union Station, now, you know, they got to move out to the suburbs of Maryland. They got to exactly. move to the counties, and they can no longer afford to move in the city. And a lot of the great opportunities and amenities that exist in D.C. now you know, the black and brown populations don't have access to it. That's the problem. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's funny, too, because another thing that happens with that, um, and it's something that it kills our ownership, right? So we have a lot of those right. people in those areas that own, they own their homes. That that home that they own, that town home, uh, was, yeah. was theirs. That row house was theirs. Well, when you start putting the Harris Teeters in there, you start putting in, you know, all these, these new innovative places, the property value goes up. And so I can no longer pay for my property taxes. So not only are we, right. we pushing them out in terms of, uh, physically being there, but we're killing the the rate of ownership. We're killing the wealth in the black community, and it's one of the things that right. you know we don't we don't think about and people don't see. It's always my argument with people that I've talked to, particularly young black professionals that talk about the benefits of right. gentrification and how it benefits us. I always talk about well, you know, immediately face to face, like it looks like it it benefits us, but when we start looking at holistically. The, the ownership of, of our people in this area, it's decreased because they can no longer afford it. So with that being said, what do you what are what are some things that you could foreseeably let's say for where Southeast is, there's still a, a portion of Southeast that is um, by and large black. But it's starting to I mean, if you go there, this I've been here since August. Right. There are places Anacostia, that have changed. It. It. Yeah. It's a Whole Foods and Anacostia, it, right? Yeah. Right. It, yeah. Wow. Yeah. So, you know what I'm talking about? Amazing. So. I know what, what you're talking about. Now. Yeah. What types of what things do you think are realistic for us to do as black millennials to be a part of that? I, I think it's about because I, I think 
I think oftentimes when we talk about gentrification, we look at it on race terms, and I think that's incorrect because a lot of times you have high-income black folks who just as well come into these communities and set up shops and unfortunately don't hire local communities or provide those opportunities for local communities. I think when we have, when we create neighborhoods where you have a great diversity of income levels, a great diversity of educational attainment, not only do you inspire your neighbors and your community members to strive for more, but you as a professional, you make a statement in that community that if I'm a business owner and I move in, okay, there, unfortunately, this is how it works. It's like, you know, there are educated folks here. There are folks who, you know, I have to be careful about how I operate here. I think oftentimes the important thing that happens is that developers will look at certain communities and sort of try to take advantage of them because there are so-called uneducated folks there. Um, and I think as black millennials, as folks who have literally benefited from the marches and from, you know, all the folks who sacrificed for us for the past 50 years, we have an obligation to get into our and up for the people who are unfortunately been taken advantage of in a lot of these different cities. Right. Yeah, I think that's so true because, you know, it's sad when you can't live in the community that you live in, <laughs> that you're being pushed out. Yeah. It's not there because I'm sure they have roots and they have emotional ties to that community and to push them out. There's yeah. history there. There's history there. I think Perfect. that's one of the, yeah. Perfect example is, is U Street. I mean, U Street was, for the longest time in Washington, D.C., a black hub of art. Yep. I know in U Street now, I got friends, I got white friends in Georgetown who love U Street, who live on U Street, who know yes. all about U Street. And every time I go there, <laughs> I see less and less of the old U Street that I know, the U Street that my uncle used to take me to 15 years ago when, you know, when I was 10 and 11. And telling me this is what black success and black culture looks like. That's not what right. you see. Yeah, like I had now. a friend, um, right. a friend who's from DC. We were at Ben's, um, having brunch, and he was like, "Man, this is not the U Street I grew up on." He's in Maryland now, but yeah. he's like, "This is totally different. Like, this doesn't even look like exactly. how I grew up." And that's he has no like he can't go back. Like I could, it, most of us could go back home and say, "Oh, you know." this and that, and I remember this. He, he can't say that. Yeah, exactly. What, what are some uh, tangible things as far as, like, mentorship that you've been able to do by being in the community? Do you mentor as, um, in addition to um, you staying in the community, or are you active with the local schools? I know you said them being able to see you walk to work in a suit is very important for the community, but are you like? Right. Yeah, I mean, I, I think there, obviously there are the subtle things and there are the overt things. I think the subtle things is just like when I'm in the elevator every morning and little boy or girl asks me, you know, what I literally ask my mom would call it a teachable moment, right? That's a moment where you can share your experiences with somebody who might have been in the same position that you were, you know, when you were a teacher. So I think there are subtle things that your presence uh, can do to these communities. But I think overtly, for me, you know, I'm involved with 
different volunteer initiatives. Um, you know, my work takes me to a lot of community meetings, so I find myself sitting in rooms and sitting at public forums, talking to neighbors and residents about how to make the city better. Um, you know, my old campaign team is still around, and we're gearing up to do a fundraiser uh, to raise some money for scholarships. Hopefully, we're going to give at the end of June. And so, you know, we're doing everything we can to give back in the community in, in the small way that we can. But my point is, is that if we're ever going to take, if we're ever going to turn around the state of black America, it's, it's, we can't continue to pretend like these communities don't exist. Because when we talk about Ferguson, Ferguson didn't happen in Northwest D.C. Ferguson doesn't happen in, you know, Prospect Park in Brooklyn. Ferguson, you know, for the most part, was a poor, black, uneducated community. You know? Trayvon Martin grew up an uneducated family, uh, for better or for worse, uh, low-income family. These, These situations that have tested the consciousness of our country, they're not happening in these gentrified areas. They're happening in sort of what you call the worst cities in America. And the only way we're going to avoid another Trayvon, Trayvon Martin's happened, we said, never again. Uh, when, when, when Michael Brown happened, we said, never again. When Eric Garner happened, we said, never again. And we're going to keep saying never again if we get into the communities where this stuff is actually uh, and he is a black millennial. I know people don't want to hear it. I know it's inconvenient for a lot of people, but it's on us. Yeah. It's literally yeah. on us. Yeah. It's inconvenient and it, it's hard to hear, but it's 100% necessary. Even in you talking and speaking yourself, um, speaking here now, it's making, it's just making me you know, kind of reevaluate my whole thought process of these things, because it's one of those things. I don't know if you we talked about it last week on the show. I don't know if you saw the scandal episode, but one of the things that we pointed yeah. out was the fact that there was between the, the, the activists and Olivia Pope, there was this clash of I'm here for the poor people and you're here representing the, the glorified black person, if you will. And so kind of that class of people not getting it and understanding that when we speak about the, these black injustices, we're not talking about your black coworker that that's sitting next to you in in the office or or the person that you're going out to happy hour. Exactly. With. We're not talking about those exactly. people. We're specifically talking about these uneducated, underprivileged black people that oftentimes right. are voiceless. So that is, bro, that is incredible, incredible, incredible uh, knowledge. I'm so glad that you. I've been able to come on the show, man, and just drop some knowledge uh, on us and just on our on a, on a, on our listeners. Is there anything that you have going on that we can support? I know you say you have a uh, fundraiser that's coming on. How can people get more information about that and just uh, support what you're doing? I encourage everybody to check our website, Rashawn. Um, um, there you can find out find out about information about different fundraising events that we're doing different events in the community, ways to get active. Uh, and there you can, you can also follow me on Twitter, um, which is Rashawn A. Davis. And you can find out more and engage with me directly. Um, this, this, is a, this is a nationwide effort, uh, you know, and I'm ready to assist in any city, um, any group of folks uh, that's willing to put in the work to make a difference. So 
you know, I thank you all for having me on the show. I love uh, Birch Culture. You know, I love I I find myself catching up on two or three episodes every day since I found out about it. <laughs> awesome. You know, I absolutely love what you guys talk about and the topics. I'm just glad to have been on the show and share some experiences and knowledge. Well, we hope this won't be the last time, and we thank you so much for um, joining us. Thank you so much. All right. And now it's time for our random topic. So today's random topic, <laughs> R&B diva, the R&B diva, Atlanta herself, Miss Angie Stone, was arrested for knocking her daughter's teeth out of her mouth. <laughs> As Ricky Smiley's put it, Angie Stone made history this past week. She is the first black mama that actually knocked her child's teeth out their mouth. <laughs> no longer are we in the days of just talking about it. This week, Angie Stone was being about it. Yeah, brother. Black brother. I love you. Go I can't sing. Knocked out. <laughs> there is no one above you. So, Angie Stone's 30-year-old daughter, Miss Diamond Stone, pause for her name being Diamond Stone, 30 years ago. <laughs> like. That's the first time I caught that. I'm sorry, y'all. Like, when I first, I was like, wait a minute, her name is Diamond Stone. Like, okay. We said we weren't going to judge her name. You remember I'm not, we said that on the other show? I'm, I'm not judging her based on ethnicity. I'm judging her mama's mindset. <laughs> Like you, you're you write songs. You're a creator, and the best thing you came up with was Diamond Stone. So, <laughs> Angie Stone's thirty year old daughter, Miss Diamond Stone, told officers that the singer went into her room. Angie Stone came into Diamond Stone's room and told her to clean up and get her children, since they were running around the house half naked. Mm-hmm. An argument ensued and turned physical. Mm -hmm. It was reported that the 53-year-old Angie Stone told police that she hit her daughter in the face with the metal stand in self-defense after she after her daughter started punching her. Wow. <sighs> Apparently, Angie Stone realized what she did. She started to run away from her daughter. Her daughter continued to pursue her and to start to fight. Well, TMZ. Uh, Angie Stone's daughter later posted photos of the assault and her teeth. And of course, TMZ got pictures of. <laughs> I'm sorry, y'all. TMZ got, got hold of the pictures that her daughter put out. And you could see that her teeth were gone. Well, when Angie Stone, who's now released and home resting was asked about it. She said that her teeth, her daughter's teeth only fell out because they were already in the process of rotting. <laughs> so <laughs> Angie Stone basically pleased that had her daughter been taking better care of her teeth, she they wouldn't have fell out when she got hit. <laughs> With the stand. 
So actually, it was not her fault. So it technically, was her, exactly. It was her daughter's fault for not brushing her teeth. If her daughter had been brushing and flossing regularly, her teeth would have been strong enough to withstand the impact of this uh stand the edge hit her with. This so story is <laughs> so sad because. You don't like to, I don't like to promote dysfunction. I don't like to laugh at people's pain. But when I tell you this story. So you ain't laugh at Kevin Hart stand up? No, man. Look. (laughs) (laughs) This story on number one, Diamond Stone. Let you let that set in. Diamond Stone is 30. Diamond Stone stay with her mama. Diamond Stone mama came in to tell her to clean her room. <laughs> Diamond Stone got baby Diamond Stones that's running around the house half naked. <laughs> At what point in time did somebody say, you know what, we got to do something better. We got to fix it. You know what? I'm all for you being 30 and staying with your parents because, you know, maybe financially I'm I'm about, you know, it takes a village there. She's helping rate. You might have some financial goals that you need to meet. You saving up. You're doing some stuff financially. Your mom has a big enough house. You can have your own space. That's fine. But your mama is in her 50s and she got to come and tell you to clean your room and you 30. Bruh. <laughs> This is reason number one that she wanted to hit you in the mouth. <laughs> the second reason is it's not just you. You got little babies that's running around here half naked making noise in my house that I pay for. That's reason number two. And then I tell you to clean your room and you argue with me. I'm justified and, and hit you in the mouth. And all on top of the fact that I ain't had nothing to do with the fact that you weren't brushing your teeth because you 30 and should have been brushing your teeth and flossing and going to the dentist. This whole story is just crazy, yo. It is in freaking sane. And what we say to that is, Andrew Stone, I just pray that you don't have to spend no real time in jail. Well, she got out. Yeah, she out. She good. Oh, she She out because Brother is a classic song. And I just, I feel like she need to be making music. Cause you're my gold teeth, black teeth. She gon' knock them out if you don't clean your room. I, want to... I can't. <laughs> so now we're going to move to this week's quote of the week. This week's quote. It's a quote from me. (laughs) (laughs) I'm the person that's being quoted this week. You don't have to be perfect to be productive. Great, 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 great quote. I just want to say big up to Lisa. Lisa is going to be, if y'all don't know, Lisa um, is uh, the founder of the Drew 3 Project and the one thing you can definitely, you will definitely get, and I can assure you that you can get from Lisa. And I'm saying this, and we haven't talked about saying this. I'm just saying this off the cuff. You can get somebody that's going to think critically. You can get somebody that is going to give you uh, a space to 
be able to walk through what where you're at and to think critically and analytically and to talk about things and to walk through some things. And I think that just that that quote came out of a deep conversation that Lisa and I was having. And she said that and it just resonated with me because that's something that I think that as people we need to hear, particularly as young professionals that we need to hear in a time where we're constantly given these images of perfection and oftentimes I'll say false images of perfection of the people that came before us or even some of the people that exist now and people are saying that they're also perfect and they have everything together and then we find out that they don't and then there's all this scandal and disappointment and people are lost in the disarray in your imperfection you still can be productive that does not mean that you shouldn't aspire to be the best you or to be perfect in an area and let everything be the best at what you do but it is okay for you to be imperfect and you can still be productive and that is incredible incredible well we want to thank you for listening to this week's episode of brunch culture i thank randall for those kind words that he said about me I love um, Lisa. Thank you, Lisa. <laughs> I love you too, Randall. And and the fake cry that you just gave. Um, <laughs> but we thank you for listening to this week's episode of Brunch Culture. As always, you can tune to all our past episodes at www.brunchculturebc.com. Also, you can follow us on Twitter at Brunch Culture, on Instagram at brunch underscore culture on facebook at facebook.com backslash brunch culture and we again we want to thank mr rayshawn davis for being on the show he was such an inspiration and challenging us about staying in our community so we want to thank him again and definitely check out his website at rayshawndavis.com yes we're going to tweet that out um so you can you guys can have that link but thank you for listening to brunch culture as always at brunch culture everything is up for discussion